Our readings tonight are from Psalm 146 and from Luke 7, uh, from Luke chapter 7, where we look at how God is a God who allows himself to be interrupted in order to show us love and compassion. Thank you, Ray. In Psalm 146, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as, I, as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. And in Luke, Jesus raises a widow's son. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bar... <laughs> The beer, buyer. I've practiced and practiced. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you to the worship team for leading us in our worship so far. Some years ago, a synod in South Africa was held in a very rural part of the province that we lived in. And it was held from a Wednesday to a Saturday um, because on Sunday, one of the country's major sporting highlights was taking place. And that, uh, that highlight was something called the Comrades Marathon, which is an ultra marathon. It's a distance of about 90 kilometers that people start off at five in the morning and they run, they've got 12 hours to run uh, to try and get the 90 kilometers done. I don't know uh, what the logic behind it is. It's they run on a road where a normal car can fit and drive. Why they decide to run instead of getting their vehicles is beyond me. But it is a, it is a really big event for them. These, these two events, Synod and the Comrades Marathon, the, this ultra marathon, stick in my mind as two um, equally painful forms of torture, I think. The one, you, are, <laughs> you, you run 
and all you want to do is think about sitting. And the other, you're sitting, and all you want to do is think about running, trying to get out of the, of the meeting, making a break for it if you want to. Those of you who don't know what Synod is, Synod is a gathering of ministers and elected lay representatives from the presbytery or region, and uh, they meet for discussions that are held over four days. So just take that in for a second. It's a four-day meeting, okay? That's it. You know when you go to a meeting and it's an hour and a half and you think, Jesus is taking long? It's four days that you sit and listen. Yeah, <laughs> Ian's very excited to be attending his first one. Uh, I forgot you here, Ian. They're great events. God's Spirit moves. It's fantastic. Uh, it's a, it is a four-day meeting, and there's policy decisions like what Ian was talking about um, earlier on in discussions and reports and so on. And uh, what I've discovered, actually, is that it doesn't matter where you are in the world, they're exactly the same. The, you know, the same thing happens at Synods in South Africa that happens in Australia. The only difference is the location and the accent. Everything else is pretty much uh, the same. Most of the ministers, almost all of the ministers actually go because, um, to be honest, the, the main reason you go to Synod is because if you're not there, you get elected onto all of the committees. So you've got to be there to say that you're not uh, available for certain things. That's the... That's the standard voting rule, you know, anyone except me, yes, I will, will put you on. But um, this particular year, because of the location, there, um, there wasn't enough um, uh, accommodation to have everybody billeted in places along the way. And so a few of my colleagues and myself, we stayed at a bed and breakfast. We booked into this place, had a huge sign outside that said B&B, &B, except uh, it wasn't. It was just B. There was no breakfast. It was just a bed. That's, even though we paid for the breakfast, no breakfast was forthcoming. And the lady who owned the place and helped us out was really odd. The first thing she did was she moaned at us for arriving late. And we didn't know we had a time to actually arrive by. But we got moaned at for arriving late. We got given keys in a remote um, for the door and uh, the keys for the, for the bedrooms. And and, um, and she gave me one of the colleagues who wasn't there, a friend of mine who hadn't arrived yet. You can have his key in his remote. And gave it to me. And, oh, it was just, it was a little bit weird. And uh, we didn't see her again for the duration of our stay. And it wasn't like it was this big sprawling hotel. This was a home that she had converted to have little B&B uh, uh, rooms, or just B rooms. Um, on the to give an indication of how weird she was, uh, when my friend did actually arrive, she refused to open the gate and door for him because somebody else had his remote and she didn't want to waste the battery on her remote to open the door. So, you know, he had to phone me and I had to go out to give, this is your remote, this was for you to open the door. We didn't see her, as I said, for the rest of the time that we stayed there. But when, uh, it, came to, when it came time to leave, to check out in the morning, I had woken up early and uh, I thought, well, I'm going to take a book and sit out in the garden and just spend some time uh, reading. It was a beautiful morning, sun coming up. And uh, as I walked out, there was this lady standing in her dressing gown. And um, 
kind of greeted her as I went past. She said, have your keys and your remote. I gave it back to her. Obviously, my checkout was really early. And, um, and I was going to just go get my book and sit outside. And there was just this little voice in my head that just said, stay and talk. That was it. Just stay and talk. So I um, allowed that little voice to interrupt what I was going to do. And I uh, turned around and I started some small talk conversation. And as we began to speak, little bits and pieces of her life story started to emerge. She was widowed at a young age. She was now into a second marriage um, with kids that were yours, mine, and ours. So a real kind of uh, blended family. All the kids and the grandkids were scattered all over the place. Um, some of them uh, far and wide. None of them uh, came back and visited. None of them ever came to, to see her. It turned out that the reason there wasn't any breakfast was because she was suffering some kind of um, illness or vertigo, and if, if she stood for too long, she'd actually fall over, so she couldn't really prepare stuff, and, and um, she had this sort of illness. And then when she started telling me um, about her children again, in the exact same way she had just done five minutes before, I realized that some form of, um, of dementia was um, setting in, and, and, um, and all of a sudden, you know, the road ahead for her looked very long and, and, and lonely. And my annoyance over the last four days at eccentricity has kind of changed to a sense of compassion. And we actually ended up having a really fruitful time, a helpful time. Um, I was able to have a reading with her and a prayer with her afterwards and a bit of ministry and, and so on. And, and the book that I was going to read, what I was going to do, was completely interrupted and replaced with this moment of compassion. And I hope used by God for, for ministry in her life. Then on the Sunday, we had come back and it was uh, the marathon that was being run. It ended in Durban where we lived, so we took our camping chairs and put them out on uh, the side of the road where you can, <laughs> where you can watch the runners with the, with the uh, comfort of your, your cool drinks and packet of chips and everything else right next to you. A big esky full of something to drink, nice shady umbrella. And as I sipped my Coke and chips and I watched these runners, I thought to myself, I'm sure I could do this. Um, that, you know, they don't look that fit, these people. Been running for 11 hours and look at them, I'm sure I can manage it. And, and then you come down to earth with a healthy dose of reality as you get up to leave. And I ended up puffing and panting and had a cramp in my side and a pain in my back. And all I tried to do was get my temp camping chair back into that stupid bag. And uh, reality hits that actually, no, you can't do this. But throughout the time that I watched, um, that we were sitting there watching, uh, what was really interesting was across the road from us on the other side was another group of spectators who were watching, some women who were over there watching. And, and unlike us who were sitting in our chairs and you know, clapping from the comfort of a nice uh, lounger or whatever it is, uh, these women, they had their chairs there, but they were not in them. They were up and about. They were cheering the runners on. They were running next to them. They had this, this esky that looked like it had an inexhaustible supply of Gatorade. I don't know where they kept getting it from, but they would give to every single person who wanted any. Uh, black, white, Indian colored, male, female, whether they knew them, whether they didn't know them, it didn't matter. It was just uh, wherever there was need. 
they went out of their way just to give encouragement and kindness and help and compassion. And I thought to myself that, you know, in line with the experience I'd had the day before, that these people were allowing their enjoyment of the race to be interrupted in order to be compassionate. They were no longer sitting just cheering people on. They were actually really working in that moment. The interesting thing, though, is that when we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the exact way um, Jesus works. This is what the gospel of Jesus is about. Whether it be an old lady at the B&B or the type of kindness that's shown by the, the uh, spectators in that race, compassion and kindness lie at the heart of what the nature of Jesus Christ is. It's at the heart of the way God works and the way God calls us to live and work in this world. If you think about it, moments that uh, we show compassion and kindness are moments that really um, reach people in their deepest moments of need. There are moments where we are present, moments where, where somebody else learns that, that there are people who care. There are people who care for them. There is somebody who loves them. And we face those moments in our own lives all the time. We face moments where we need compassion and kindness, moments where we need the touch of somebody who cares and who loves us enough to have their day interrupted in order to help us. We often find Jesus doing justice. Wherever there are situations that, uh, that couldn't be handled, Jesus gets interrupted and helps people. He does the same for us. There are moments when, when we're at a loss and we don't know what decision to make. We don't know how to face a tragedy. We don't know which way to go. And we cry out to God. And it's almost like, God, I don't know what you're busy doing, but can I interrupt you for this moment? I need you now. Give me strength. Help May your Holy Spirit guide me. Let, me. let me hear your voice calling to me. We cry out to God in the hopes that He will interrupt whatever God is doing and listen to us and come to us in the midst of our crisis. We desire that God show us compassion and kindness and reach out to us because we know we're unable to face some of the situations we go through on our own. Lord, can I please interrupt you? Can your kindness and your compassion and your love be part of my life in this moment? And that is the pattern um, that we see in Jesus in the Gospels. We do this because we see that's how Jesus works. If you think about uh, some of the well-known stories in Scripture, think about Jairus' daughter, where Jairus, this leader of the synagogue, Jesus is on his way somewhere else, and Jairus falls at his feet and says, can I interrupt wherever you are going? My daughter is dying. Please come and show compassion. And Jesus says, I'll be whatever, that's fine. The interruption is fine. I'll go and heal your daughter. And even as he goes to heal his daughter, he gets interrupted again by another woman who, uh, who from behind falls down and touches the hem of his cloak and says, I, I need, if I can just do this, I'll be healed. And Jesus interrupts his interruption and says, who touched me? I felt the power go out of me. And he has compassion on her and says, your faith has healed you. Or the centurion's servant where Jesus is teaching. And the centurion approaches him and he decides to leave what he's doing and have compassion on the servant. And, 
and he's astonished at the centurion's faith. Or the feeding of the 5,000 where the disciples interrupt Jesus and say, it's time to send these people home. And Jesus says, no, it's time for me to be glorified. It's time for these people to see the beauty of God's love. Or the demon-possessed boy at the foot of the mountain of transfiguration where Jesus comes from this beautiful high moment of, of meeting with God. And he walks down to find a boy and his father sitting in the dust while the squabbling Pharisees and disciples fight about why he couldn't be healed. And Jesus says, whatever I have felt, whatever I have done, this will be interrupted for this moment to show love and compassion on this child. And there are so many stories that we can go through. I'm sure you get the idea. And then we hit the story that Ray read for us tonight, where this widow with only one son who has now died uh, is carrying that child into the cemetery. And, and Jesus is going to the town. We're never told why he's going there. But they pass this funeral procession coming out. And the graves are always on the outside of the city. Um, and so it wasn't uncommon for you to pass funeral processions on their way in or outside of the city gates. And, and uh, they didn't have coffins that were the, the, the briar or the briar. I have no idea how to pronounce it either, right? But it's, it's basically, it's like a, a straw mat that the body just rests on. They, they carried the body out like that. And Jesus walks past and we get this beautiful verse of scripture that says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. How beautiful is the love of God. And if ever we think of of people who try and place a condition on, on who God loves and who God doesn't and who can be excluded from His love. It's, it's a moment like this where you just realize that, that there are no boxes to tick, no requirements to make before we are in with Jesus because He's a God of love and compassion who, who reaches into the depths of the pain of what we face. It's the heartbreak of a mother whose child is no more and says don't cry don't cry and he interrupts himself and he raises that son that moment she becomes his whole focus um, of his compassion and two things really grab me about the story or I hope grab all of us about the story and the first is this that God hasn't changed Jesus came to reveal to us who God is he's a God of compassion and that hasn't changed he's a God of love and that hasn't changed. The love that goes out to the widow, to all of those other people, is the same love that goes out to each of us today. God's heart still breaks when our heart breaks. God's heart is still moved by the pain and the difficulty of the things that we face, of the things that trouble us. And God's method of operation is still to interrupt whatever He's doing and show compassion in our lives. God may not fix the circumstances or, or change everything just miraculously like that, sort everything out like we'd like Him to. But He guides and He comforts and He encourages and He uplifts and He strengthens and He gives wisdom and promises to be with us. If you hear the words of the psalmist, Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. 
The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. The Lord reigns forever. I think sometimes we go through this life feeling almost that God can be too busy for us, that our prayers might be hitting us some sort of a ceiling. God is not too busy. God knows that opportunities to love and show compassion will, will always be an interruption, and that's what He's about. We see in the story of the widow and the sample of those other stories, God's heart is with us and His love enfolds us and His compassion touches us. He's willing to be interrupted for us, to, to lead us through this life, and that is a beautiful thing. But secondly, the passage also calls us to allow the interruption of compassion to be part of our lives as well. Have you ever thought about the fact that an opportunity to show God's love will never ever arrive in a neatly packaged moment that's going to fit into your schedule and that can be planned into your diary. You cannot look at your diary and say, right, on Friday from 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock, those are my moments to be compassionate. I better hope I find somebody to be compassionate too during that time. It doesn't work like that. Opportunities for compassion and to show love are always an interruption. They always come at inopportune times for us. It's the very thing that actually makes compassion special. That someone has gone out of their way. That someone has uh, stepped out of a comfort zone or out of what they were actually doing to do this for another person. We are faced with many opportunities uh, to be compassionate, many to be loving. I think very often we miss them because we're too busy and it just it doesn't fit in, in the hecticness of our schedules. But if other people are to know Christ, it's going to be through us allowing the interruption of compassion in our lives. Jesus isn't here on earth anymore. We can't physically say to him, I'm busy, can, uh, can we let this one go to you? Can you take care of it? Instead, he says, you are my hands and you are my feet. And I want to interrupt whatever you think is so important. And I need you to show compassion and kindness to one of my children. To one of, the, one of those who my heart is going out to. And it's in those things that people will actually see Jesus. We live in a society that's getting more and more secular. That is less and less interested in the things of Christ. But I'll tell you something. Nobody gets touched by compassion and kindness and unconditional love without having some effect on them. When somebody goes out of their way to show that compassion and kindness, it does something to us. It ministers to us. It shows Jesus in a special way. I'll end with a story. Some years ago, um, a colleague and a friend from a, a rural part of the province in which we lived phoned me on Good Friday after my two services, done two services on Good Friday, I get this phone call and he says to me, there are, there's, there's um, a pair of grandparents in his congregation whose granddaughter has had an accident and they've been flown down to the hospital in the city uh, that we lived and was nearest to me. And uh, they, this family weren't Christian, they weren't part of the church. They were simply uh, the granddaughter, the, the, the son or daughter, I don't know which one, and uh, the grandchild of this pair of grandparents in his congregation. But he said, the little girl is dying. Uh, please, can I go and be with them? 
And without hesitation, I said, yes, of course I would. Um, I'll be there. But I didn't actually want to go. Not, because, um, not only because it was obviously a tough situation, but just because I was actually physically exhausted. Good Friday is a bit of a crash day uh, for me. And at this particular time, I had done three services on Palm Sunday. Um, Holy Week was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday services, two services on Good Friday. I was absolutely finished. And I had planned to uh, put my feet up and have a nice cup of coffee and just fall asleep in the lounge and, and, uh, and have a nice rest when suddenly this phone call uh, came through. But obviously I would go. It just wasn't how I had envisioned my Good Friday working out. So I got into the car and I said a prayer for wisdom. And while driving to the hospital, I kind of mentally planned this visit that, you know, to see what I would say. And, and uh, what I had planned to do was go in there, introduce myself, say something that would hopefully be comforting to them. And, um, and then have a reading and a prayer and then leave sort of fairly soon afterwards. When I arrived, the situation wasn't like that at all. The 12-year-old girl was dying because of a mistake, because of an accident. She had a, a slight disability and was, was trying to be a little bit more independent. And so she had run her own bath full of water, full of water but had made the mistake of running only the hot water first. And in her an attempt to be independent, she had, she had slipped and she had fallen into the scalding, scalding hot water. And with, with um, the disability that she had, she panicked, she couldn't get out and she suffered such severe burns that um, she was never ever gonna make it. And uh, the local clinic had flown her and the family to the intensive care where the doctors had basically said to them, we can make her comfortable. That is about the extent of what we can do here. And uh, I walked into the situation with this badly burnt little body in the bed and, um, and a very distraught, very angry, very hurt family. They were, they were angry with God. They were angry with the situation. They were angry with each other. They were fighting amongst themselves. Who was responsible for this? Who was or wasn't supervising? Who had set the thermostat so hot on the hot water system? How did this thing go? And, and um, they actually just didn't know what to feel in the midst of this horrific um, situation. And I immediately knew this was not going to go the way I had planned it in my head. I was not getting home anytime soon to my day, to my nap or anything else. This was going to take time. Um, this would be the whole day. And um, it would be a major interruption to what I had in mind. Obviously, um, I didn't mind, you understand. It just wasn't what I had planned for the day. And I, to be truthful, I don't know how many hours I spent there. It was dark by the time I left, well into the evening. Um, each family member, had we, we had sat, we had spoken together. I had sat and spoken to them separately. We had uh, spent time, uh, we had read, we had prayed, we had spoken some more and spoken some more and spoken some more. And to be honest, I cannot even remember what I said. And neither could they. They, uh, they saw me two years later, they came to one of my services and they stayed behind to chat. 
incidentally, they, they came to one of my services as a, as a committed Christian family. They, um, they had, had found Christ along the way. And they said to me at that service, we don't remember a word you said that day. We don't remember a word that you said, but we remember that you were there. That's it. We remember that you were there the whole time. That you gave up time with your family to be with us. And then the mum said something which I have, have never, sh- never forgotten. She said, it was like Jesus himself came to be with us. Jesus himself came to be with us. And I don't tell you that to make me look good. In fact, quite the opposite. Remember, I had planned to get out of there as quickly as possible. I tell you that to illustrate what happens when we are willing to be interrupted. When we are willing to let the interruption happen and the compassion and the love of Christ flow, people see Jesus. They don't see you. They see Jesus. Because they see the unconditional love. They see the kindness. They see something which is not normal in the, norm, uh, in the day-to-day running of our lives. And I really believe that if we're ever going to reach people who know nothing of Christ and want nothing to do with Christ, it is going to be through this. They will see Jesus in the love and in the compassion that gets shown to them when we allow that interruption to happen in our lives. It'll always be an interruption. It'll never come at an easy time. That's the very definition of what compassion is, that it puts us out and it costs us something. But that's what's characterized in almost every act of love of Christ. And when he did it, people got to see who God really was or is. And it's no different for us today. People are going to see Jesus in this world. It's going to happen through the love and the compassion that we show. And I pray that I and that, and that you and that we as a church will always be willing to be interrupted, uh, and to be the vessels of compassion that Jesus uses to bring his love into the hearts of others. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, that you are so willing to be interrupted for each of us. When we pray to you, we almost, we just imagine that you're right there just waiting for us to talk. Lord God, we thank you that you never count whatever you're doing is too, too much to be interrupted by us. You love to hear our voice. You love to show compassion. You love to reach out in grace and in mercy. And we've relied on that so many times. So many times we, we just trust that you'll be interrupted and, and show compassion and kindness. And we thank you for that. And we pray tonight, Lord, that we would do the same in this world. Where others need love and compassion, we would do the same. We pray that you'd help us through your spirit to recognize when those moments are. And whether we even know it or not, we pray that people will see Jesus in each of us. In your name we pray these things. Amen.